the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us. Before we get into the meat and potatoes about the market, Josh, if listeners would like a second opinion on their portfolios from you, if you would like Josh to check it over, see how you are doing, you can take the Aptus Blueprint Challenge. You can schedule a 15-minute call with Josh, and you'll get a $25 gift card to support our local community. The number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. And Josh, hello, what is the portfolio amount that works best for in this situation to take the challenge? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and you know, um, if you have $50 million, you're probably going to be okay. That's not to say that we couldn't make improvements, but that's not where we can make the biggest impact necessarily. Um, and if you have no money, well, then obviously there's not a much, there's not a lot we can do to make an impact on that as well. So I would say you know, that 250000 and up category is, is the place where we can make the biggest impact in risk and taxation. So uh, that's really the sweet spot is 250000 and up where we can make a big impact. And no obligation. You were just going to look over their portfolio, see if they, where areas can improve, and, and just give people a second opinion. You will walk away either learning that whomever you're working with, whether that's somebody else or you're doing it yourself, that you're doing a great job and uh, second set of eyes, you're headed in the right direction. Or, in most times, there is improvements that can be made. And maybe you're unaware of those, and they can make a, a really, really significant impact on your future. The number to call to take the Aptus Blueprint Challenge is 614-364-7300. So let's talk about the market. It's recovering. We're still in a recession, though. Let's talk about that, Josh. You know, the, the big question that I'm hearing the most often is, are we in a recession? And what is a recession, and what does the future look like? And I, I certainly don't have a crystal ball, but uh, so I don't necessarily know what the future looks like, but you could predict that there's only so many things that could happen, right? We could continue down this path of incredible volatility. Um, you know, we're seeing swings now that are, are really breakneck. They're petrifying. You know, your mar- your money is up 6 and 6% one day, down 6% the next. That could be an option that continues on. So let's just assume that the market moves in the right direction. And by the way, a recession is when it pulls back greater than 20%. We've certainly done that. We did that back in March. Um, but we've kind of bounced right back up. 
And, you know, the question is, what do we do moving forward? So let's say that it keeps on bouncing around, like I was saying before. And are you comfortable with dealing with that level of volatility, even if you know at the end of the day you're going to end up in a positive place? In other words, 10 years from now, I'm going to average 7%. But along the way, I'm going to watch my $500,000 bounce between 500000 400000 300000 700000 is that a roller coaster ride you want to be on? And I think that's a very conceivable future for us. Uh, there's a lot of debate, Diane, over are we in this V-shaped recovery for good? You know, the market went down like a cliff, and then it seemed to jump straight out of that hole again until the last week or so we've seen that volatility enter back in. But for a long time, it seemed like we were just coming right back up, and the future was bright. But is it going to be a V-shape or a W-shape? And if it's a W-shape, the volatility is here to stay. And that's kind of the scary thing for people, particularly if you're in retirement. Do you want to see your portfolio bouncing around that much? And what are you doing to protect yourself from that? But the stock market, you know, even if we hear that, that we're in negative recovery, we're, they say we're in a recovery, maybe we're not in a recovery. What if, it, what if it's bad? Remember that the market isn't necessarily a direct indicator of the status of the economy. Sometimes it gets ahead of what's about to happen. Sometimes it's a little behind what's actually happening in the world. It, the stock market is large in part moved by emotion, by institutional investors, by a lot of things that may not be directly tied to the, the economy as a whole. So just because interest rates go down or interest rates go up, a lot of times that can have an impact on the economy, but a lot of times it takes time or it's already built in. So you're kind of as an investor trying to figure out what the future holds and how do I partake in that. Uh, and the best, uh, in my opinion, the best advice is to employ tactical management, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about here today at some point. And you should look at investing as if it is going to be a W, should you not? Well, I think you have to prepare for both, particularly if you're reliant upon the income from that portfolio. If you're 25 years old, maybe the volatility doesn't bother you that much. You go, I got 20, 30, 40 years before I need to use this money. But if you're using it, that volatility can have a dramatic impact on how much money you can live on and whether or not you run out of money. Uh, in, in the future. So very important that you plan for both. Yeah, I think you should absolutely plan on a W shape, even if it's not. Let's talk about, and we're just going to switch gears here, the advantages of moving homes during retirement. And what advice would you give someone that is uh, thinking about that? Well, it's very common that people want to move homes. You know, you had a, a large home that you raised a family in potentially, and now you're entering into retirement. You want to enjoy life. And maybe that enjoyment doesn't include uh, mowing the lawn and maintenance. So, you know, a lot of times you hear the term downsizing, right? Everybody wants to get a, an easier home to take care of and also maybe put some money back into their pocket. But I would urge you, if that's something you want to do, um, do it sooner rather than later. You don't want to be making that move when you're 80 years old and it's just a more difficult scenario to do. On top of that, you know, the, overcoming the, the issue of financing, et cetera, gets more difficult when you're living in retirement and you're maybe up there in the years. Getting even the financing, if that's a piece of the puzzle where you need to finance your home, can be a little bit more challenging. So I would highly recommend that you do it sooner rather than later. Another thing that I recommend that people do, whether you need it or not, most banks will give you a home equity loan. Um, you don't have to use it. It just gives you the availability of that credit. And oftentimes, like all finance, when you need the money, it's usually because times are tough and the bank won't give it to you. When you don't need the money, banks are more than willing to give it to you. Right. So a lot of home equity loans you can grab at literally no cost to you. There might be a $50 annual charge or something like that. Check with your bank. But get a home equity line. Have the discipline not to use it unless you absolutely need it. But know that that could be an income source for you down the line should you need it. 
So what would be a perfect age to downsize in a perfect scenario? And I just want to express to listeners that we're not talking about a move into a retirement home or anything like that. This is strictly from residents downsizing to another residence. Absolutely. This could be, you know, I have a 4,000 or 3,000 square foot house now and, and we're more than comfortable in a 1,500 or a 2,000 or even smaller square foot house um, now that the kids are out of the house and we're retired. Um, you know, there is no real perfect time, Diane, but I typically see people doing it within the first 10 years of their retirement. So not necessarily pre-retirement, but I've retired, I have the time to, to go through the basement and do all those things that nobody wants to do and, and start to kind of purge some of the stuff that I don't need and then downside in those first five to 10 years worth of retirement. That seems to be a sweet spot, but obviously everybody's different. And you mentioned the home equity line of credit. What about a reverse mortgage when you're in retirement reverse, and instead of moving? Yeah, you know, if you would have told me, you know, 20 years ago was a reverse mortgage a good idea, I would have given you a resounding mm-hmm. no. Um, and there was a lot of reasons for that one regulation on reverse mortgages just hadn't quite caught up to a comfort level that I was, at least that I was comfortable with. Um, And also interest rates were higher. But now as we look at uh, home equity being such a huge percentage of many people's uh, total net worth, to be able to access that equity to turn it into either a lump sum or into income for the remainder of your life, locking in incredibly low, the lowest interest rates in history, the cost of doing so is not so insurmountable now. So I think it's a great avenue for people to look, not for everybody, obviously, but it is a resource that you can utilize if you're looking at your retirement picture and going, maybe I was a little behind on my savings, but I do have this home and I definitely don't want to work until I'm 80. Is that the asset that I can utilize to fill the gap to get me to retirement sooner rather than later? And they have gotten a bad rap in the past. People are, just like when you talk about annuities and people are like, I've heard they're bad, reverse mortgages, people have heard the same thing. As you mentioned, their bad reputation years ago. Yeah, you know, it was kind of the Wild West. It wasn't really a regulated industry. Uh, commission levels for brokers selling them was, was, you know, what most people would say pretty astronomically high. But that, that's all behind us now. There's uh, kind of a few, uh, there's a handful core group of banks that, that do them, and they're very heavily regulated to the tune that you actually have to go through you know, kind of a, a training class as a consumer. So you know all the ins and outs, the ups and the downs of doing one. So the consumer now is, is forced to be educated and make the right decision for them. A lot of people think they want to downsize couples. Do you find a lot of people put a thought into it? They're used to their space and all of a sudden they go from 4,000, as you said, to 1,500. Any advice for couples thinking about whether they really want to downsize? Because I find I've actually downsized. I'm not close to retirement, but I'm like, I really miss my space. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I wouldn't make a, a huge dramatic, you know, I, I wouldn't go from that 4,000 square foot house to the tiny house unless you know that you really enjoy constantly looking eye to eye with your partner. But, you know, it's an individual thing, Diane. Well, I, and the self-isolation most... that we've been in, in recently can give people a good idea of whether they can survive. It was a in heck a of a trial space. run, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think what I typically see the power of downsizing is more than just having less space. The power of downsizing is having lower bills from utilities. It's maybe I have a 4,000 square foot house now that I can sell, put some money back in my pocket, get a smaller house, or maybe I even do a lateral move from a finance perspective, pay the same exact amount for the smaller house, but now I have. You know, maybe I build a house, I have a brand new roof, I have brand new everything, and I know that maintenance is not going to be an issue for 
the foreseeable future. Now, a lot of people have lived in that house for 20 or 30 years. They're coming up on everything kind of starting to need that, the big overhaul, which can be a really expensive process. So you can avoid that and then avoid it forever moving forward. I don't know if you know of anybody that's had any uh, recent issues with uh, utilities or maybe uh, didn't your water heater break today? Yes. Yes. My water so, heater You know, did. you might not want to deal with, <laughs> with uh, water spraying out of your water heater at 85 years old. Right. But it could happen regardless of it the size happen. of the home. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. But if you have a brand new water heater, your odds go down dramatically. And as for overhauling, if you're my parents, they're not going to change anything. They love the uh, avocado appliances and the gold shag carpet. So it all depends. <laughs> well, they're coming <laughs> back around, so maybe they'll be able to sell them. Right. It's cyclical. Listeners, if you would like to take the Aptus Blueprint Challenge, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300 and uh, learn how the Aptus Blueprint can help you reduce market risk in protecting income. Josh will give you a $25 gift card to help support our local community. It's one per household, and it's most effective for households with a portfolio of $250,000, correct? That's correct. And the, and the reason for that is there's a lot of tax strategies that can be employed um, to really help out people who have portfolios of $250,000 and up. There's also a lot of diversification options that we have available to really, really minimize and mitigate risk. Um, and portfolio sizes under than that, uh, under that, we really limits our options. So we can really show the greatest value in portfolio sizes of 250000 or up. The website is aptuswealth.com. It's spelled A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. I'm Diane Brennan, and this is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. When we come back, we're going to discuss Social Security and information that you need to know about it. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, what do you think about retirees choosing to take Social Security when they are in their 70s or 70? Is that safe as it sounds? It, it's a great option. Um, one, for, for folks who don't know, um, if your full retirement age is 66, your Social Security goes up by 8% per year for every year that you delay until you reach age 70. So, I mean, it can be a significant, if you think about 8% more per year for the, or 32% more, excuse me, per year for the rest of your life, and then God forbid something should happen to you, if your Social Security is greater than your spouse's, your spouse would get that increased income or death benefit from Social Security for the rest of their life. It can make a dramatic difference. As a matter of fact, it makes a tremendous amount of sense for a lot of folks. That said, what you don't want to do is you do not want to plan on taking your social security at age 70 and adjust your savings rate accordingly. And the reason for that is about 50% of people end up retiring for reasons beyond their control 
earlier than they had expected. I know it, it kind of stinks in that, well, I still have to save the amount of money that I would need to save if I was going to retire at 65, knowing full well that I might still wait until I'm 70 before I retire, or I'm going to delay and take my Social Security when I'm 70. You may be forced into the situation, whether that's taking care of a loved one or health concerns, et cetera. But we know statistically that approximately 50% of people retire earlier than they wanted to. And you don't want to be in a position where you're really banking on that income waiting until age 70 for Social Security, and then boom, now at 65, I don't have enough of their assets to supplement my Social Security collecting at 65, and I'm living on a heck of a lot less than, than I would have liked for the remainder of my life. So great option, but don't use it as a crutch or a, a reason to not save what you know you should be saving. And what are some reasons that people may have to retire early? The big one, believe it or not, yeah, the big one is um, shy of layoffs. That's a, that's a big one. Um, but a, a real significant one that I think people overlook is taking care of a family member. Many, many times I see people that are taking care of a, an older parent, taking care of a, a, you know, a family member, a spouse. Um, you know, life happens. And we certainly worked our whole lives to support that life, n not that work was our life. So, you know, you have a father that becomes very ill. Uh, you want to you wanna be there with him. You want to take that time. And if you're that close to retirement, it's a very easy uh, time to just say, well, it's only I had two more years. I'll pull the ripcord and I'll go. But that two more years is a very impactful two years, and particularly a very impactful two years when you think about, well, I would have got 16% more Social Security for the rest of my life if I would have worked that extra two years. And it can make a difference for the remainder of your life. So um, it's very important to continue pushing that savings rate to the best of your ability, or at least to the rate where you know I, I have options. And that's all this does. You know, discipline and savings just buys you options. It doesn't mean you have to do those things, but it, it, gives, it affords you the opportunity to do those things. But best case scenario, and I'm repeating what you said, is to definitely hold off on taking Social Security as long as you can. Potentially. Um, and I know I'm throwing another sidewinder in here, but if we, I We want it cut and dry, <laughs> which it's not. Yeah, yeah. Everybody does. It's based upon your longevity, obviously. So if you, you know, if nobody in your family ever lives past the age of 65, then waiting till 70 to collect Social Security probably isn't the best plan. But only you know that, and you know your health, and you know your, uh, you know, nobody knows exactly how long they're going to live. But, you know, if the doctors told you you have five years to live, probably don't want to push off collecting Social Security until five years past that date, if that's the case. But if you can wait until age 70, and your longevity expectation is, you know, normal, let's say, you know, mid-80s, then you can garner a huge benefit from waiting on Social Security and actually adds a tremendous amount of safety back into your portfolio, meaning that that's a guaranteed income source rather than a trying to pull off of an investment source. So it depends on your scenario, but there can be for a lot of people a huge advantage in waiting. In my office, we do the math. So we look, we ask you, you know, what your scenario looks like, what are your assets, what are your resources, it goes all into an income plan. Social Security, pensions, retire, uh, rental properties, all these things have to go into where are my income sources and what's the most advantageous way for me to take them. So that is all part of the Aptus retirement blueprint process. Let's talk a bit about that as well, since you mentioned it. In the process, it's important that we find out all of these things, all of the income sources that you have, all of, you know, what does your family history look like? What are your projections for your own longevity? What do you want to do in retirement? And that's different for everybody. And then what resources have you accumulated over the years to derive that lifestyle that you hope to have when you retire? 
and then analyzing all of that data, where are the shortfalls? For example, we were just talking about pensions. Did you already take your pension? And if so, did you elect a joint with survivorship pension, meaning if something happens to you, your spouse is entitled to a benefit? And what is that benefit? Is it 100% of what you were getting? Is it 50%, et cetera? And then what does your social security look like versus your spouse's? And if something were to happen to you, what is the death benefit to your spouse? And how impactful will that be for their life? So there's not just how am I going to survive while I'm alive, but how will my remaining spouse survive if something should happen to me? All this goes into the process, and then we come up with what are some possible landmines that could get in the way, and how do we address those? How do we address risk in your portfolio? If we have another downturn, back in March, the market pulled back from peak to valley. It was down over 35%. What will happen to your portfolio if the market pulls back 35% again? And are you comfortable with that level of risk? Or would you rather have more limitations, meaning if the market pulls back 30, I'm going to make sure that I only go back 10 because that's the level that I'm comfortable with. And there is a way to invest that way. And a lot of people don't know that, but there absolutely is, is, uh, is, are ways to invest that way. And then what else did we miss? And that's the blueprint. We put it all together. And this is, the, this is your roadmap. This is your blueprint to retirement. And then we decide if we want to work together. But until all of those stones have been uncovered, you're hoping you'll have a really good retirement. You're hoping that you're going to make it, but you don't have a plan. And you don't really know. You're just hoping. Hope is great. I have a lot of hope, too, but I don't want to base the rest of your life on it. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. We invite you to take the Aptus Blueprint Challenge. Schedule a 15-minute call with Josh to get a second opinion on your portfolio. Josh will give you a $25 gift card to support our local community. The number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. The website is aptuswealth.com. And this is really effective with portfolios of 250000 Let's talk pensions. Josh, should people take a lump sum buyout when it comes to their pension or, or take the income stream? Well, it's different for every pension. And what I mean by that is, let's say that uh, your pension offers you $50,000 a year for the rest of your life. And the lump sum buyout's only $400,000. Well, there's no possible way that you're going to uh, drive $50,000 worth of lifetime income off of $400,000. So it's very clear that that particular pension calculation is trying to get you to take the lifetime income because it, there's no, like I said, there's no possible way that you could drive that unless you took a single life payout and died in the first year, in which case you only received $50,000 instead of 400 and then the money went poof. But I, I think the important parts to note about a lump sum versus a pension stream is control. The real value of taking a lump sum is control. And maybe that's worth it to you and maybe it's not. Maybe your history of longevity, just like we were talking about, Diane, with Social Security, is very, very long, in which case the pension stream is very valuable because you know that you can never outlive that income. You can't screw it up. As long as I get 50, as long as I sign up for $50,000 a year, I'm going to get $50,000 a year forever. And we'll talk about some risks associated with that, too. But in general, I'm good. I can't screw it up. I'm going to keep on receiving that. If I take the $400,000, the lump sum or whatever that amount is, and my scenario is $400,000, now it's up to me to drive my income. So while I gain control, I also gain all the risk. So there is a possibility of me screwing it up. And of course, you're talking with, about reinvesting it, not... Of course. Yeah. yeah. If you just take it and you know go buy something really fun with it, well, then the money's gone and there's no income. 
But if we reinvest that money into an income plan on our own, now the onus of that income is on us. It's not deferred to an insurance company. And all pensions are essentially annuitizations. It's just a lifetime income stream. So while I gain that control, I also gain control of all the risk versus pushing that risk off into an insurance company. Now, that might be incredibly valuable to you. Oftentimes I'll hear, you know, the pension stream and the income option, I could get really close with my own income stream, but at the same time, I don't really want or need the fit. I know this sounds crazy, Diane, but I don't need $50,000 a year to live on. I only really need an extra $2,000 a month to live on or $25,000 a year to live on. So I would rather maintain that control. So if I ever want to go on a trip, I can just take the money out. If I want to buy something significant, I can just take the money out. I've, I've kept that control in my hands. The only risk to the payout, though, is who is insuring that payout? So this is getting better as the years go on, but I'm sure we all know of a scenario where somebody had a pension with a steel mill or somebody had a pension with the you know, uh, electric company, et cetera, and that pension got into trouble, meaning that the people managing the pension either mismanaged it or did some miscalculations. Maybe it was based upon an 8% growth rate and the pension never earned more than four because pensions are paid out by a big pool. It's a big uh, endowment of sorts. And if it was mismanaged or not calculated correctly, there have been many, many times, I'm sure, Diane, you can think of some off the top of your head, where you knew somebody where their pension got cut significantly, if not totally. So there is a risk of making sure that that income stream lasts for the rest of your life by the institution that's agreeing or promising to pay it out to you. How often does that happen where pensions are mismanaged? It's getting fewer and fewer because regulation is getting greater and greater. But I can think of many scenarios just here in Ohio, not looking nationwide, that it has happened to where people were receiving pensions and their pension payout went down by 40%. So what would 40% mean to your life if your pension went down by 40%? That's a pretty significant one. So one thing that I think is a great option for anybody with a pension is you know what the lump sum is, you know what your payout options are. Take that lump sum and run it against other insurance companies and see what they'd be willing to pay you. If it's equivalent, you could spread your risk around many different insurance companies and achieve the same exact income result. So would you rather have XYZ company that used to work for being the one that's solely paying you your benefit, or would you rather have five different insurance companies paying your benefit? I would say one is far less risky than the other. But we have to do that math. So anytime you have a pension and a lump sum, if you're not doing any math and you're just automatically assuming that's your only options, you need to dive deeper. You need to speak with somebody like me. Um, It may very well, here in Columbus, OPERS, Ohio Public Employee Retirement System, very, very difficult to beat. Usually makes sense to take that pension option unless you want that control back in in your hands. But you should still do the math every single time. Is there a way for the public to research their pensions to find out the stability? Uh, absolutely. So if you go to your, your HR personnel, they absolutely can provide you with information of how your pension is, is managed. If it's, a, if it's a public entity like uh, Ohio PRS, you can go online and Google, and it will literally give you the financial backing of what Ohio PRS is. If you work for a private institution, for example, uh, Nationwide, Abbott Labs, they have their own pension. That might be a little bit more difficult to acquire, but it is information that you can get your hands on. If you don't know how to get your hands on it, we can absolutely help you get your hands on it and decide what is the risk. And we can assign a kind of a figure to that. You know, uh, while I'm getting more money, what percentage risk additionally am I taking? 
and then you can make the decision if it makes sense to you. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. The website is aptuswealth.com. It's spelled A-P-T-U-S, wealth.com. I'm Diane Brennan, and this is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. When we come back, we are going to break down annuities for you. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, what are some of the most common fears about annuities? I know that some people are leery because they used to have a, a bad reputation. They are a good retirement tool. You've mentioned that. Let's talk more. Yeah, well, I think with every retirement tool, the big, the best advice I can give is don't hear somebody say something and just take it for the gospel. What I hear except oftentimes, for this show, except for, right, right, right. <laughs> well, I think it's important that you know the actual facts and the data. And and unfortunately, uh, you'll hear overhear somebody at a, at a party or something say, you know, well, you know, my aunt had an annuity and it was the worst decision she ever made. There are a lot of different types of annuities, uh, you know, four different types, really. We've covered these in previous shows, but, you know, variable annuities, fixed, fixed indexed, immediate annuities. A pension is literally just an immediate annuity. That's all it is, is an immediate annuity. So, you know, they're not bad. It's which ones are good and how do you utilize them. And the simple fact is this. There is no financial tool that I'm aware of that you can buy that will pay you a lifetime income guaranteed other than an annuity. You can't get that in a stock. You can't get that in a bond, not for the rest of your life, no matter how long you shall live. Matter of fact, the Academy of Smart People will tell you you can only pull out 5% of your portfolio per year to make sure you, you don't run out of money. The reason they say 4% is because they want to make sure that they pad that percentage enough to accommodate for volatility in the stock market, where almost any annuity on the planet will give you a far greater percentage withdrawal rate than 4% for the remainder of your life, no matter how long you shall live. So they have their place. But they also have, you know, their downsides. So what are the most common fears that I hear? You know, annuities have rules that you have to play by. And that's true. Guarantees don't come free. And some of those rules are, well, if I buy a deferred annuity, not an immediate annuity, and this applies to variable fixed, doesn't matter, you might have to stay in that contract and only take out a certain percentage per year without penalty for a duration of time, much like a CD. So if you buy a five-year annuity, for five years, you have to play by some rules. If you pull the money out early, you get to keep all your gains, but there's a penalty attached to it. That might be, you know, 5% penalty, et cetera. You know, one of the most common fears that I hear is I don't want to lock my money up. Well, you can get 10% of your money out per year in almost every deferred annuity. So if you take out more than 10%, we just got done saying that the rule is don't take out more than 4% of your money, you're going to run out of money. If your concern is I can only get 10% out, you got bigger problems because you're going to run out of money no matter what you put your money into. So you know, a lot of these fears, this, I don't want to lock my money up, is really just a, a fear of the unknown or a fear of how am I going to utilize the annuity. You can still get money out of an annuity. The other one is they're expensive. And while that's true, it only really applies to one of the four different annuity contracts. Variable annuities are essentially owning mutual funds, although they call them sub-accounts, inside of an annuity contract. And the benefit of doing that is that annuity contract can afford you lots of different things, like uh, enhanced death benefits, uh, guaranteed uh, income benefits when you reach retirement so you can uh, get an income that you can't outlive. There's a lot of benefits to variable annuities, but those do come at a cost, and you decide how you know whether you want to pay for those costs or not. But if you take every benefit under the sun, 
You know, it's kind of like when you buy a car and you go, I'll take the rust protection, I'll take the extended warranty, I'll take that, I'll take that, and you keep on adding everything up. Well, yeah, it's really expensive. Do you need all of those benefits is the question. So you have to do that analysis. But yes, variable annuities can get absolutely expensive. But the other range of annuities really don't have any inherent expenses to you. They all have guaranteed income floors and they all have guaranteed minimum benefits of some kind. And in many instances, you don't pay anything for them. So it's just really misinformation being out there, or, or at least a slippery slope. You know, look at one and then just say it's the way they all are. Uh, annuities have their place. They are the best income driver, lifetime income driver, product, instrument that you can utilize in retirement. And I have yet to meet anybody, Diane, who says, you know what I wouldn't want? I wouldn't want income for the remainder of my life that I can't outlive, that adjusts for inflation to make sure that I always have some baseline of income no matter what the economy does, no matter what the market does, I want to make sure that I have a steady income stream for the rest of my life. I've yet to meet anybody who says that sounds like a terrible idea. And they just said that they really like the concept of an annuity. And then you say, well, an annuity will do that. Well, I've heard bad things about those. <laughs> I just told you that it's all, all, the, all the good. So anytime you're investing, look at the pros and the cons and then analyze how it fits into what you're trying to accomplish. Is there a perfect uh, candidate for each one like a deferred annuity if we were to create an avatar if this what's the perfect scenario for you to do a deferred annuity variable fixed sure, sure. all of them and and the yeah, second question I, I want to ask is how young should you be when you start investing in them when you're 10 years out from retirement 5 years out from retirement in that kind of we're getting down to the 10 yard line you should certainly be looking at mitigating risk through doing a fixed investment and annuities if you give them a 10 year run on a deferred annuity the income benefits can be incredibly substantial. So I would say if you're 50, 55 years old and you haven't at least looked into them, there's value there. Look into them. You may or may not end up doing one, but there's huge value. You at least should know what they can do. I would have said, Diane, until uh, the last couple of months that doing them in your 30s and 40s is not a great idea. But there have been some income benefits that have come out that really shed a lot of a, they really shed a lot of that away. And here's why I'm seeing a transition between what's most important to me in my life is income that I can outlive versus leaving a legacy. When I started in this business, you know, over 20 years ago, everybody talked about, I want to make sure that I can leave something to my beneficiaries. I can leave something to my kids that has changed where now people are more concerned about, I want to, I've, I've given my kids a good start. I help pay for their college. They're doing great. They're doing better than, than, than I was, quite frankly, which means you raise your kids, right? Uh, and now it's all about me having the income that I can outlive and living you know, my best life for the remainder of my life. If that's where you feel you fall, you know, I'm in my 40s and I just did one. There is value there too. And why did I do it? Because when I compared the rate of return that I would need to get in the stock market versus the value that the living benefit provided me, even if my contract only earns 4%, was 10.2% per year. You're going to have to really cherry pick some time frames to average 10.2% in the stock market. Now, what did I give up by doing that? Well, my kids probably aren't going to inherit as much, but I'm going to live on about 30%. Warren Buffett. I didn't put all my... We're going to call you Warren Buffett. He's not leaving any money to his kids, isn't he? He's not, no. <laughs> and, you know, does it mean I put all my money into this? Of course not. Well, I still have a legacy to leave to my kids, I'm sure. But the value of that is when I compared it to a mutual fund, I'll get about 30% more income for the remainder of my life than I could have safely withdrawn from a mutual fund. So, you know, it all depends on your situation. It all depends on what your goals are. But I don't know that there is a bad time versus a good time. 
but there is without question when you're getting down to that five, 10 yard line of retirement, you know, 55, 60 years old, you need to at least start looking at them and, and, and adding some sort of guaranteed floor to your, your income in retirement. So this might help listeners understand better on who the perfect demographic is for the different annuities. What type of annuity did you pick and why? That's a good question. So I ended up picking a fixed indexed annuity with a uh, no charge income rider. Um, and the reason I did that is because it has a huge bonus up front and it provides on the income side of things essentially 250% growth of whatever the annuity does. So if my annuity does 4%, my income side averages 10%. And you'd say, what is the income side? Well, the income side is essentially the calculation that determines what my income is based upon. So let's say when I turn age 70 years old, I can get 5% of that income side for the remainder of my life. Well, if I earn 10% per year in the stock market, and when I turn age 70, I would typically only be able to pull out 4%, right? But let's say that I pulled out 5%. There's no guarantee when I pull out 5% that I'm not going to outlive it. But I can pull out 5% of something that had been growing at 10% effectively, even though my underlying contract only earned 4%. I know that's a lot of numbers. It's probably hard to comprehend over the, uh, over the radio waves here, but um, I picked a fixed index annuity. There are no fees in that contract, not a one. And what is the bonus that you talk about up front? What does that mean? Yeah, what well, goes into that income side of the category. So in that particular contract that I did, there was a 15% bonus on the income calculation. So when I look at my retirement income, it will be based upon 250% of whatever my fixed bucket did, plus a 15% bonus on the way up. So not saying this contract's right for everybody, but you know when you're talking about a runway till retirement of 20, 30 years at a even if my contract only does four, it's grown at 10, it's very, very, very difficult to beat. Again, I wouldn't want to put all my money in there because there are some downsides to it. And the downsides are, um, you know, I have to play by a set of rules. The downsides are it, I'm kind of really married to that income provision. Um, so there's not a lot of flexibility in that particular contract. I certainly didn't put all my money in there. But it is incredibly comforting to know that I can very, very reasonably predict I will never, well, I can tell you, I'm never going to have to look at a down account statement. It will never be negative, not one year ever. So no matter what happens moving forward, I will always have exactly or more than I started with at the beginning of that year in my account. And I can very predictably estimate what my pension stream will be when I reach retirement. Now, comforting is it to know that I have a pension stream, even though my company doesn't have a pension. Love it. We've got a couple minutes here before the break. Let's talk about contribution rate. What suggestions do you make to a client regarding their contribution rate when working on their plan? Well, certainly if you have a 401k, you should be contributing to that 401k and at least up to the match. So that's just a baseline. No matter who you are, you should be doing that. Beyond that, though, I think everybody is always looking for, a, should I be contributing 10%, 15%, what percent should I be putting in? And really need to back into that number because it's different for everybody. And why do I think it's different for everybody? Well, typically speaking, 10 to 15% will get you to the, it'll get you there. But if you make, you know, a million dollars a year and you say, I'm only living on 150 grand a year, clearly you don't need to save quite as much as a percentage as somebody who's, you know, trying to live on 90% of their pre-tax income or their pre-retirement income. So the best way to come up with how, what percentage you need to be saving is do a financial plan. 
say when I retire, this is what a comfortable retirement looks like for me. This is my expenses. This is my dollar amount. You know, maybe the house will be paid off by the time you reach retirement, which drastically changes your income needs. And then back into this is how much money I've already saved, which means I have a shortfall of X. How much do I need to be saving along the way to reach that with what investments I'm comfortable investing in? If you're investing in more aggressive, uh, you know, types of investments, you can over the long run, you can predict a higher rate of return, but more volatility. Well, if you're going to get a higher rate of return, you don't need to save as much every month. But if you're not comfortable with that, which is completely fine, maybe you want to uh, put it in something that's got a more guaranteed basis to it, like what I just said, and you have to put in less money depending on how you invest it. So the best way is come up with what my retirement looks like, what I have currently, and then back into the number mathematically, which is what we do in our office all the time. Then we can tell you, you know, your rate might be, you know, only 8% because you got a really strong head start when you first started working, or you haven't saved anything up to this point, you're 45 years old, it's a higher percentage. But there is no just generic answer of save 11% and you'll be perfect, which I know everybody wants to hear, but that's just not the reality of the situation. We invite you to take the Aptus Blueprint Challenge. Schedule a 15-minute call with Josh to get a second opinion on your portfolio. You'll get a $25 gift card to support our local community. The number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. I'm Diane Brennan, and this is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Peck. When we come back, we'll discuss market volatility. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, although no one could have predicted the turbulence in the market, can you tell us how you helped your clients get ready for a situation or situations like this? Yeah, well, one, I think you should design your retirement plan as an income-driven retirement plan rather than a you know, portfolio-driven retirement plan. What I mean by that is, you know, I, uh, there's these old these old adages that we kind of follow in our industry, and, and one of them that I hear very commonly is, I take my age, so let's say that, you know, I'm, well, I'm currently 42, so I take 42, and I should have 42% of my money in bonds or guaranteed or fixed types of investments, and the other 58% should be in the stock market. And then conversely, if I'm 80 years old, I shouldn't have more than 20% of my money in the stock market, and I I should have 80% in the fixed side of the house. And while that works, um, or it has worked historically, it's worked because uh, those fixed rate instruments like bonds have really added stability to the portfolio. So you're inherently just throughout your age, decreasing your risk tolerance, and thus reducing volatility. Because, you know, these market swings when you're 22 don't hurt near as bad as when you're 82. That said, we're in an interesting position right now. And that position is not only do we have this volatility that just keeps on rearing its ugly head, we also have incredibly low interest rates, which has really driven fixed instruments, bonds, CDs, et cetera, their yields way down. 
Um, so where before, you know, let's say in 1980, for example, you know, your your CDs were in an 18%. That was your risk offset versus the stock market. That's a pretty good place to be. Now you can get a 30-year mortgage for less than 3% and CDs are paying essentially nothing, you know, 1%, 2% if you're lucky. That doesn't really get you where you need to be. So what we've done over the last five years or so because of the, the interest rate environment is start doing two things. One, being much more tactical or much more hands-on in the management of risk inside of our equity portfolios. And I'll get back to that. But two, utilizing fixed and fixed indexed annuities with guarantees attached to them to achieve yield that we could have otherwise achieved with bonds and CDs of you know yesterday, but that just don't exist today. So we're essentially boosting up our yield u- utilizing annuities. But let's get back to the tactical management. There's two ways that you can invest in the, the stock market. The way that's worked historically over time is the old buy and hold strategy. And you can do that through mutual funds. Mutual funds were the introduction of diversification. So I don't want to hold 10 stocks. I want to hold you know, 100. That diversifies my risk. But those mutual funds still at their core have a doctrine. And that doctrine, we call it a prospectus, says, you know, let's say you're in a mutual fund that's a, a large company growth mutual fund. And it says you have to have not, we have to have 90% of our money in large company growth stocks that are based in the United States. We can't have more than 10% in cash. Okay, fair enough. It's up to you then to decide whether growth stocks in the United States of large companies are a good place to be today. And the answer might be in a resounding no. The manager of that fund might go, well, yeah, I picked the best 50 out of the thousands of choices that I have available, but I don't think growth stocks are going to perform this, this year very well at all. It's just, you know, the market is cyclical in, that, in, in nature, and sometimes growth stocks are in favor and sometimes they're not. But that manager can't do anything to protect you from that. You're just in it, and it's up to you to decide whether you want to be in it any further. He's going to do the best job or she's going to do the best job of managing under the confines that they have. But it is your responsibility to decide if that's the right place to be at the time. Tactical management on the other side is employing somebody to decide where you should be in the market. And by doing that, they can create algorithms that can limit your risk dramatically. So, for example, there could be a portfolio that you could have put a 10% drawdown on. And that would mean that exactly what we went through in this, uh, you know, COVID volatility of late, market pulled back 35, you pull back 10. Market climbs back up, they increase risk back in, drives back. Now, does that mean that you're going to beat the market in the long run? Maybe or maybe not, but it certainly means that you can dramatically limit volatility. When you reach 60, 70 years old, limiting volatility, not only does it feel really good to know that you don't have that level of bounce in your portfolio, but it's incredibly necessary to limit volatility when you start drawing income out of things. And then utilizing annuities adds a guaranteed income floor to it, or at least a guaranteed rate of return that you just simply can't achieve in the bond market right now. So our new 60-40 portfolio is very tactically managed portfolios limiting risk on the 60 side and 40% into things that have not just fixed rates but guarantees attached to them. What you ultimately get between the combination of the two is similar rates of return and dramatically reduced risk. There's always going to be unforeseen problems in the future, you know, just like COVID and and what we're going through right now. We're going to talk about some more tips to combat unforeseen problems. 
You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Want to tell you first before we get into that, we invite you to take the Aptus Blueprint Challenge. Schedule a 15-minute call with Josh to get a second opinion on your portfolio. See how you're doing. You will get a $25 gift card from Josh to support our local community. The number to call is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. And the website is aptuswealth.com. That's spelled A-P-T-U-S, wealth.com. It's one per household, and this is really effective with portfolios of 250000 So, Josh, always unforeseen problems like we've just been through. What are some other things that people should include in their retirement plans to combat that? Yeah, you're right, Diane. Life happens, and, and it happens over and over and over again. If we went back and just said, you know, historically speaking, um, you know, what have been the chaotic times in our history, it wouldn't be hard to just fill up a time chart, you know, from 1920 to today, very, very easily or before that. So if it's not COVID, you know, it's going to be 2008 crisis. If it's not that, it's a dot-com bubble. If it's not that, it's Black Monday. If it's not that, it's an election year. If it's not that, it just goes on and on and on. So thinking that we've gotten through this last one and now we're good moving forward, the reality is if you're 65 years old, and you plan on living another 20 to 30 years, you're most likely going to encounter another three, four, five of these things. So you have to have a plan for this level of volatility. If not, you're just crossing your fingers and hoping that somehow this is different than the last 150 years. So what are some things you can do? We talked about a couple just a second ago, Diane. That is you know, how you manage your money and in, in, in creating an income plan that you can outlive, creating a predictable um, trajectory for your assets by using tactical investing and using uh, annuities and as it rates go up other instruments. But for right now, annuities are the best, the best game in town for that. The other would be make sure that you have a rainy day fund. If you don't have any cash on hand for the next emergency, the water heater that you're dealing with right now, Diane, then you should start padding that up. You know, the rule of thumb generally is you should have 50% of your salary, which is six months worth of your salary saved up. That's different for everybody. You know your situation better than anybody, but I would start there and then either add or subtract based upon your individual scenario. But make sure you have some money set aside. And then track your non-essential expenses. You know, we all have things we can outrun, but then we have other things we can change. You know, you can always, if it gets bad and we don't want to derail our retirement, but maybe you didn't get that bonus this year or something like that, you do have the ability to limit You know, maybe the country club membership doesn't make sense. And I'm not telling you to eliminate the country club membership, but you can do that. You can't get rid of your mortgage. So create a budget of what is essential, what can I not outrun, and what is something that I could pare back on should I need to. And then eliminating debt is never a bad thing. I know for the last 10 or 20 years, there's been this huge transition uh, amongst the financial planning community to You know, there's good debt, there's bad debt, we know that, but it never makes sense to pay off your mortgage because that's good debt. I disagree with that um, in certain instances. While you're working, um, you have income coming in one way or the other. Having uh, a mortgage that you're paying 2.5% or 3% on is a great utilization of good debt. When you're retired, however, remember you do have the ability to control the level of income to a certain degree that you receive. And by having no debt, you are really gaining control of how much taxes you have to pay because you get to determine how and when you take that income. And when you have no debt position to have to pay off, 
well, you don't have to take near as much income so you can drastically reduce your taxation. So eliminating debt is a really strong thing to work on. And then the last one is, and this is kind of the worst case scenario, and I'll just give you a, a few here, but the last one would be um, you can always tear back your savings, but you cannot tear back your debt. What I mean by that is if you don't have a credit card and you're saving money into your 401k, you can always tear back your credit, your, uh, your 401k contribution. But if you have huge debts with a credit card company, sure, you can pay the minimums, but you and I both know how that goes. It's just exacerbating the problem. So once you get behind, it's incrementally more difficult to get back ahead. So pay off debts as much as you can. Get ahead knowing then that if, if the economy gets bad, if your situation gets bad, it's much easier to just tune back. I'm currently saving 15% on my 401k. I'm going to tear that back to 5% or even nothing. But if you got the $20,000 on the credit card, there's no outrunning that bill. It's going to come one way or the other. And you can't just say, well, you know, I, my income, I didn't get the bonus this year. So I just push off my credit card payments till next year. The credit card company is not going to enjoy that conversation and they're not going to accommodate. So paying off debt and getting ahead is, is critical. It, it's a huge, huge advantage, Diane. So we invite everyone to take the Aptus Blueprint Challenge. Schedule a 15-minute call with Josh to get a second opinion on your portfolio. You will get a $25 gift card to support our local community. The number is 614-364-7300. Again, it's 614-364-7300. The website is aptuswealth.com. So this is really effective with portfolios of $250,000. And Josh, can you just explain quickly why? You know, number one, if you don't have any assets, there's nothing that we can do to improve upon that situation shy of saying you need to save more money, which I'm happy to do. But to show the greatest value, we need to have the ability to impact your tax situation, and we need to have the ability to diversify correctly to impact your risk uh, position. So I know through the 20 plus years that I've been doing this that portfolios of 20 grand or more is where we can significantly show you value doesn't mean we can't show you value in, in other categories, but $250,000 or more is where we can really make an impact. And by impact, I mean uh, what I desperately want to do is give people the comfort level of knowing that they now have a plan, a predictable plan, one that does not uh, leave a bunch of fear left on the table, which I see often. Well, I know, I, you know we met with HR and they told us we were good, but I don't really know why we're good. Uh, but I'm talking about a real encompassing plan that was coupled with education. And you walk out of my office knowing that you're going to be okay throughout retirement. And you know that you're taking advantage of every possible uh, angle of minimizing taxes and minimizing risk, but still maximizing your return. These are all possible things. And I want to show as many people as I can uh, those uh, tools and resources so that you have that level of comfort. Because I'm sure there's no one listening right now, Diane, that wouldn't love to have that level of comfort. It's just eluded them because it's hard to find. It's hard to find somebody you know has their, their best interests at heart. It's hard to find somebody who can explain it to you in a, in a tangible way and not talk over your head. Uh, all of these things are things that I desperately want to accomplish. And the number to call again is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. Thanks so much for joining us for this week's edition of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk 
instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300 or online at aptuswealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company.